Welcome to Beauties and Headcanons, where we're nerdy, and you probably are too. What a long, strange month it's been. Um, feels like I haven't uh, had the chance to record in about a month, and neither is Tegan. And she's here, and um, now the first time that I'm actually tra traveling across the country to go to where she used to live, now she's living somewhere else. Yep. <laughs> so... Um, so I won't be visiting her, uh, you know, for the first time and never, ever met her in three years. But that's OK, because now she's uh, in a different time zone again. Um, for those of you who have been listening for a long time, uh, it used to be that Emily was uh, on the West Coast and Tegan was on the East Coast. And I am, you know, a, a Midwesterner. So I'm right smack dab in the middle of the Central Standard Time. And now uh, Tegan's in a different time zone. So uh, thankfully for me, she's still uh, telling me when we're recording and when we're doing <laughs> stuff for Central Standard Time because she knows better than to try and tell me any other time zone. Um, but we are here to talk about uh, not different time zones, but different time periods and fantastical ones at that. Uh, for this episode, I've actually asked my wonderful fiance, Jason, to... Uh, uh, co-host and so we're going to kind of like pick his brain and talk a little bit about um, those different things and kind of just like the fascination with um, punk uh, for lack of a better way to say it and um, I I actually like think this is a really cool topic because um, there there actually seems to be an awful lot of like time period uh, television um uh, specifically, Jason and I have been watching Peaky Blinders, but we were watching Penny Dreadful before. And I'm, as as listeners know, I'm into like the the whole steampunk uh, genre of things. I I want to to get more into it, and you know, like it's much more than just slapping gears on some Victorian outfits. So, um, it, it we're gonna kind of talk about all the different uh, things there are, and uh, kind of the fascination with. Um, what's cool and different about each of those things. But first, uh, Tegan's got Gaming Corner for the first time in a month. So yes. <laughs> there's that. <laughs> yes. So with the whole move and everything, it just wasn't really viable for us to record. And we didn't really have a chance to record much before mm -hmm. I left. And uh, the, this whole month, like, I, I really wanted to, like, nail it and, you know, get in and get right to recording again and not really miss anything, but it didn't really work out that way. This whole last month for me was just kind of a disaster moving from crisis to crisis and, like, not really getting much of a chance to read, but thankfully now that we're actually in our apartment, um, things have kind of calmed down, we're settling down, everything's cool now, um, and now I can get back to actually, like, you know, doing the things that I like to do, <laughs> you know, like gaming, writing, things like that. Um, and, you know, it's really amazing to me to actually, like, see the whole difference that gaming itself has on my mental health. Like, you know, there, there's always a stereotypical old gamer who just games for, like, you know, just hours and hours a day, like, each in every single day. And, I mean, that's obviously not healthy to do that, but... For me, being able to at least escape for a little bit, maybe a few hours a day here and there, maybe take a couple of days to play, you know, here and there, like, it's so, so important for my mental health. I didn't even realize until, like, this past month when I 
couldn't game like at all like I didn't have access to my systems mm -hmm. or anything like that like I had no way to really like de-stress and decompress that I could rely on like I do with gaming and so it was just like a breath of fresh breath of fresh air like being able to move into our new apartment and being able to set up our stuff and actually sit down and game um a uh, lovely person get to be with uh, Mass Effect Legendary Edition, so I've been playing through that, and it's just amazing, like how much my mental health has just like shot right back up, and how much happier I am. Like obviously, I'm happy that we moved in and everything's kind of settled down, but on top of that, I can tell there's this extra layer of like contentment where. You know, in the back of my mind, all of these, you know, little subroutines that are typically going on in my brain, like, they're kind of just settling down now, like, ah, okay, like, yeah, we're, we're, we're calming down, everything's cool now, so it's just... This is what breathing is like. <laughs> yes, yes, and so, you know, I know people like to get down on gamers, but, you know, people will sit there and watch TV shows for hours on end, they'll read books for hours on end, and that's mm -hmm. not really considered anything out of the ordinary, so... I, I approach playing games the same way, you know, it helps me decompress, it helps me relax, and it's just really, really important for my own mental health to make sure that I can actually game. So, yeah, that, that's my little gaming corner is, you know, take care of yourselves however best you're able to, and if that includes playing games, make sure that, you know, you do actually carve out a little bit of time, you know, budget out your time so that you can, you know, devote a little bit of time to that. Right. I really love the idea of, of like gaming for mental health. I never mm -hmm. thought of it that way. Um, but I totally get like if it's part of your routine mm -hmm. and then your routine is completely uh, obliterated for an entire month. Uh, just like surviving, living off the skin of your nails. Uh, it's a, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> And, yes. you know, like we all we all need our de-stressors. Some people do cardio. Some people lift weights. Some people veg out in front of the television or read a book. But Gaming when it's like your de-stressor, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, to okay. me, at least for the games that I play, it's it's like reading a book or watching a show. It's just I'm actually more directly involved in the story. I'm actually directing it more or less. So it is right. Just, it's just another way of storytelling, or at least. What I play personally. Right, right. Like getting back to being in charge, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so basically, um, it's funny because I always thought there was just steampunk and not any of these other punks. And recently we've been talking a little bit more about other things, that there's other different kinds of punk genres. And I felt super stupid because, of course, I didn't know there was anything but steampunk. Yeah, there are actually a whole ton of punk subgenres of science fiction. Um, the most most well-known, I would say, would be steampunk. Um, in that era, I would say diesel punk would be next, atom punk. There's a, there's a lot of different variations of them. Right, and we've, we've also, like, briefly talked on the, on the show about cyberpunk because we were all gung-ho about that, that game coming out. Um, so I think I have a pretty good idea of what cyberpunk is. But all those ones in the middle... Um, so we talked about how, um, uh, let me, let me go back. I, um, had had, I, I think I even talked about it in an episode probably a couple years ago when Emily was still on the show, 
that um, I was going to TeslaCon, which is a steampunk convention. And uh, steampunk is essentially a Victorian age, but instead of going electric, they went with steam as their main source of power and right. innovation. Right. So is it essentially that like diesel punk would be the same? Would it also be Victorian age type stuff, but instead going diesel? No, diesel punk is closer between World War One and World War Two. Uh, when diesel was the predominant fuel source compared to steam. Uh, we had The trains went from coal and steam trains to diesel trains. Um, most of your cars in the World War I, World War II era, tanks were all powered by diesel fuel. So that comes from that. A lot of the subgenres, they kind of they play on, do a play on words for what was the predominant thing in that era. Okay, so it's kind of like an advancement of time then. Correct. Because yeah. if that... Diesel punk is that period of time. What is atom punk? Atom punk is literally the atomic age. It's post-World War II, the atomic bomb coming up to the hydrogen bomb, atomic power becoming more prevalent. So atom punk literally was the atomic age. And I always see all of these, steampunk, diesel punk, atom punk. Cyberpunk's a little different because cyberpunk is obviously purely fictional at this point. We haven't reached that level of technology yet. Um, but for steam, atom and Diesel, I kind of always see those as an alternate universe, where they were based in the aesthetics of the Victorian era, um, the World War One, World War Two era, and the Atomic Age, um, but they were more... Uh, so, sometimes they were based in reality where it's this technology and it's just a story of something that never happened, and so, sometimes it's like a retro-futuristic era where the technology was kind of taken to extremes, where it never, it never really happened that way, but it's taking the aesthetics right, but it of those era. Like, like yeah, a parallel. So it's right. like a divergence. Because um, I, I know like in the world of like the Fallout lore, like it's main, like big divergence from like our real history was like the innovation of the microchip, which their right. world never innovated that. They never invented that. And so all of their technology and everything like that pre-Great pre War is definitely has like a more like 50s vintage feel to it because they're stuck in that type of technology. Right. And I would actually say Fallout, Fallout's kind of a bit of Adam Punk, but like yeah. you're saying, if they're stuck because post-apocalyptic, they're also kind yeah. of a little bit diesel punk because they're really simplified. Yeah, it's, it's a whole mishmash of different things. Especially considering, yeah. like, what era you're talking about. Is it before the Great War, during, after, like, how right. long after, everything like that. <laughs> right. And to me, that's one of the things about the subgenres that I love, is that some of them, because they are fictional, a fictional universe with the, this based on the aesthetics or the technology of a certain era, they can mix and match as they see, please, as they see fit. Mm -hmm. um, Bioshock is another one. The video game oh, series yes, Bioshock. Yes. Oh, I remember Bioshock. It's very, very much, it's set in 1960, the first one is. So it's very much Atomic Age, but it's so simplistic, it's very much Diesel Age and a little bit of Deco Punk, which is a little bit lesser known, not always official subgenre. I thought Bioshock was like post-apocalyptic, or was it just that, that, that there was some kind of detrimental event? I'm sorry, guys. I'm not a gamer. No, you're good. I never played Bioshock. I watched people play Bioshock. Bioshock is fantastic. It. And also a it really is. good one to watch people play. Oh, yeah. It really is. Um, <laughs> to me, it's that era is interesting because 
even in the 50s and 60s, there was a deep love. And even in our own universe, there was a deep love of the, the Art Deco aesthetic. So you think Art Deco, it's really like the 1920s, Great Gatsby era, that kind of thing. You know, swingers. Mm-hmm. Oh, or not swingers. Also, like, um, like diamond shapes and right. ornate. Right, Crowning. geometry and stuff okay. like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but that aesthetic carried into later things. Obviously, those buildings, the big buildings and the big cities never went away. They just were repurposed for yeah, different things. Yeah, but do things. you refer to it as Art Deco then, or do you refer to it as, like, gas? I, I think I probably say Gatsby or Boring Twenties <laughs> type stuff. Right. But I Almost kind of synonymous. Right, yeah, that's the right word, but I never think of it that way. Right. <laughs> well, like, the 1920s and that would have been, like, Art Nouveau, and Art Deco. They're okay. kind of all in there. There was different styles within the era, you know? Sure. All right, so then um, there's... That was uh, Adam Punk. Um, what's after that? Because I... Uh... Um, the, there's pretty much a subgenre for the rest of the 1900s, anywhere from 1900 to 2000. Um, some of the ones between Adam Punk and Cyberpunk, in my opinion, are... From all the research I've done, they're not as official. Um, almost like fan fiction kind of a thought. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're official, sometimes they're not. It's disputed. Um, after Adam Punk, kind of going through the decades, I would say would be Transistor Punk, which is a little bit more disputed. Um, literally when the transistor became a thing, you know, smaller <laughs> clocks, like your clock radios and stuff like that. Which no tube-driven anything. 70s? 60s, mid to, mid to late okay. 60s into the 70s, yeah, transistors. Okay. And then there's cassette punk, which have been mid mid 70s to the mid 80s into the maybe into the sure. 90s. Like when cassette tapes were. Right. Like when you were able to make mixtapes. Right. Okay. <laughs> and then kind of from there, they're really. From everything there, I've seen, is unless, there a CD? Is there a CD punk? There should be. It'd be like the 90s. Ooh, we should make one. <laughs> yeah. We should make our own subgenre punk. We can have conventions. <laughs> Will be conventions. You'll go to you go to a convention dressed in some weird '90s clothes with just CDs glued to the outside of your jackets everywhere. Mm-hmm. No, it'd be like if you had like a robot or something, and you had it programmed with a CD, like like Baymax, but oh. but different, like not a not a flash okay. drive or like a diskette. Yeah, but, but like oh, a CD sense. to like insert. Yeah, program software. Yeah, yeah, I dig it. I, it'd be bulky. It'd be ridiculous because. Mm-hmm. It's funny, actually, when you think about it, because cassette tapes were so, like, limited. Now we've yeah. got so many more options, and you can put, you know, so many pictures on a, on a little a little SanDisk thing mm-hmm. for however many gigabytes. But and they're still getting smaller, that's too. That's, like, unheard of when we were little. Right. Like, and, like, sorry, Tegan, but we're both, like, ugh, you know, four oh, no. or five years older than you are. So. <laughs> well, not really. Here, yeah. Well, not really. I just turned 34, so... <laughs> Ooh. Oh, okay, so I'm only Congrats. a year or so old. Emily yeah. was the young one. Now I remember. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so after cassette punk then. Um, at that point. Uh, do you start to get futuristic at some point? It starts getting futuristic because cyberpunk, futuristic. cyberpunk really started getting big in the mid to late 80s as the genre of fiction. Um, there was the the one series, the Neuro, Neuromancer. And it sounds like Neuromancer, N-E-W, but it's Neuro as in brain, N-E-U-R-O, Neuromancer, by William Gibson, probably one of the one of the earliest uh, one of the earliest cyberpunk novels, and still probably one of the most ubiquitous at this point. Um, and then from that point, at that point, in my opinion, 
from cassette punk, which was still kind of set in the aesthetics of the 80s and 70s, 80s, 90s, then it gets futuristic. Then at that point, there really isn't one for the early 2000s and the mid to late 90s or anything like that. It's all futuristic from that point on. Mm -hmm. Okay. So cyberpunk, um, and then uh, I had, the whole reason we are doing this episode too is because I had seen an article from uh, kind of highlighting Studio Ghibli and how that was a solar punk mm. uh, aesthetic. And I was like, uh, homie said what? Because I had no idea what that was or what it could possibly be, except that, you know, I want to live in Studio Ghibli movies. <laughs> right. So I guess it makes sense because I love the sun so much and it's always about gardens and yeah. uh, simpler, simpler living, basically. I mean, you've got gardens and uh, the... The bakers Solar panels. who are like clearly right. hanging out. Clean living. Yeah. Green earth. What's funny about solar punk is it's not just the aesthetic. And I, I say this like I know because you're the one who actually sent me the article. But <laughs> solar punk is actually kind of cool. And we, we both, Lindsay and I have both recently kind of found out about it and looked into it. But solar punk to me stands a little bit differently than all the other subgenres, all the other punk subgenres of sci-fi. Because solar punk has... Uh, a strong foothold in reality like there's there's the novels there's the art aesthetic that look like that like the bright sunny days all the gardens and greenery and stuff mixed with cities and very simplistic lifestyle but there's a lot of people who follow the subject sub uh, the subgenre lifestyle of solar punk that they actually try to live as green as possible like it's actually sparked a bit of a, like a social justice movement on top of just fiction or just an aesthetic, and I think that's really cool. Wait, how? Oh, yeah. Well, what do you mean? Huh? Well, because people people found out about this, and they, they started, I think it started as fan fiction. I don't think there was anything like William Gibson's novels in cyberpunk. I don't think there was any solid solar punk novels or anything that sparked the movement. I think it kind of came from people wanting to live green and recycling and be better for the earth and all that probably things more in our like real world. And to create a world where right. those things are paramount. Right. We're seeing things in the news about needing to be better with fossil fuels and stuff like that. And I think it started the movement outside of the world of fiction first instead of a lot of the other subgenres like steampunk and cyberpunk that started as fiction first where somebody fell in love with the aesthetic of an era. This is just my opinion. I don't know this for a fact, but it seems to me from everything I've read about it that solar punk started as the realistic movement first, the ideals of clean living, before it became the fiction. Okay. Uh, the novels I had looked up, it seemed like the fiction weren't big, they weren't big published novels or anything like that. It seemed like fan fiction. I could be wrong, but it, they didn't feel like they feel like they were widely published. Tegan, do you know of examples like that? Not really, but I mean, from like reading uh, stuff about it like it seems like especially compared to some of these other subgenres that solar punk is pretty much the one that is like almost always like bright hopeful good yes. like it doesn't have like a whole lot of dark gritty dystopian kind of vibes like a lot right. of these other subgenres have like like some of them could be like not as dark or gritty like steampunk could be you know fine adam punk could be like you know a nice hopeful right futuristic kind of thing but like a lot of them could also lean towards the darker grittier right. elements of a dystopian future so that that seems to be like a really big 
divide, at least in my mind, maybe it's just my mind, mm-hmm. but, but in my mind that kind of divides it where it's like, you know, these could go either way or, or they, as opposed to- yeah, or they definitely yeah. lean dystopian, but then solar punk is just like over here, like, nope, I am a ray of sunshine and that is right. all we're going to be. <laughs> and I kind of love it. And it's, it's funny because you sent me that link, but I hadn't actually thought of solar punk. I didn't realize that you had connected with Ghibli beforehand because when you sent me the link, I was like, oh my God, the solar punk looks like the aesthetics of Studio Ghibli. And I didn't realize there actually was like a legit connection there. I just kind of thought that. Like when I think cassette punk, I think alien. I think dystopian dark. Mm -hmm. Solid state controls and technology like alien, you know, very simple stuff, computers. um, Did alien go cassette punk on purpose? Because they... It was still set in the future, wasn't it? It was, and I actually think, and this is and this is where I think some of the disputed subgenre titles have come from. I think, like steampunk came, you know, early on. Cyberpunk came early on. It was people writing legitimate fiction in these areas. Either the person who created it, or however you want to, however it started. Somebody saw an aesthetic and they said, "Hey, it'd be really cool if I had someone in the Victorian era with that high society look, but with." You know, a little bit more futuristic, a little bit cooler technology or a, a tweaked version of the technology of the future where it's futuristic and you can do more things with it, but it's still based on that technology. But like cassette punk, I think, came from, I think people were naming it after the fact. Like Alien came out, it was just Alien. It wasn't anything specifically. They didn't intend to write it like that. And I think people were, I think people were, uh, what's the word? Um I think people were trying to identify it with a chub genre without it having been one previously. Without having one. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. It were, you know, when you're shooting something with the technology of the day and right. then as time marches on, then that kind of becomes archaic. Like when you look back right. at like the original Star Trek series, you know, they're using buttons and switches and, right. you know, inserting things in places and it's like you know even you go forward to the next generation and they're already Mm -hmm. in touch screens and all this stuff so you know it it's more it's kind of a question is like did they write this intentionally or did this just use the technology of the time and then technology evolved and left it behind right Right. like were they were they writing the show to be easy on the writers Mm -hmm. to write a MacGuffin or something to be easy for the writing and because maybe our budget's a little bit smaller for the show versus a movie, mm-hmm. or do they have a specific aesthetic in mind? Like, you say yeah. Star Trek, like the original series, I think, you know, it was 1966 and 1968. Mm-hmm. That was firmly in the in the world of Adam Punk. Oh, yeah. At least at the end of Adam Punk. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the stuff they did in the show, like you say, was, would be considered cassette punk because they mm-hmm. had little physical tapes and stuff like that, but you would never consider the original series Star Trek as either Adam Punk or cassette punk because mm-hmm. it was his own thing. It's, but it's that hopeful vision of the future that really resonates with me, and that's mm-hmm. why I think, oh, it is kind of Adam Punk in a way. Yeah. Yeah, kind so of shiny. like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, I wanted to go back to steampunk and talk about like uh, examples in either like uh, media books or um, You know, that other stuff we talk about, television, <laughs> movies, um, consumables, because I I feel like <clears throat> we've talked about how Star Trek really isn't either um, or anything because of how it, it was developed as a futuristic uh, show with whatever was 
at the time, whatever was hopeful. Limitations and, and, or right, those limitations mm-hmm. of what they were uh, filming. But if we go back to, like, steampunk, there's, there's a whole bunch of books that are essentially steampunk books that we would use, you know, like War of the Worlds to um, base an entire, like, storyline off of. So <clears throat> if we can just, like, go back real quick and talk about that um, and kind of, like, examples for each one. Because I feel like if you really think about it, there are movies or shows that kind of signify each of these different genres, 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 um, Right? I mean, am I... I agree. Oh, yeah, okay. no, I, I definitely. Um, I had a couple for steampunk, and obviously I'm, I'm a little bit more limited because of Lindsay. I've actually been introduced to steampunk a little bit more recently, a little bit more in depth. I was always kind of in love with the aesthetic, but I never really got into it in that depth until we got together. Um, the, the couple that I had found for steampunk, um, both the comic and the film, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, would absolutely be steampunk, but it's 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 interesting because it's really not futuristic though. It's very much these are characters and sometimes based on literary characters from classic fiction, living in that time. Like it's fiction, but it's not necessarily science fiction. It, it's not a retro futuristic to me. It's just people living in the original time, the Victorian era. Right, and I remember like watching League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and loving the aesthetic of it yes. and, you know, remembering and knowing the literary um, characters that they were based off of. But the, are those characters themselves steampunk or was the aesthetic of the movie steampunk? To me, that would be more of the aesthetic was steampunk than the actual content. Because the characters weren't. The characters weren't. A lot like the the cat was it Captain Nemo, I think, mm-hmm. of the Nautilus. The Nautilus would be steampunk because that was, you know, this underwater submarine. Right. Bigger and more a little bit higher technology than anything else we really truly had at that time. So that would be steampunk and the fact that it had the aesthetic and it was kind of a retro futuristic higher technology based on past technologies. But a lot of the other stuff it was swords and revolvers and knives and you know nothing Nothing crazy is technolo- technologically speaking. Right. So in theory, they would have been using like steam weapons or steam powered right. something right. in order to Ooh. make it steampunk. I, I just <clears throat> thought of something. Okay. How would y'all uh, categorize Back to the Future Part 3 when they're in the Ooh. Old West and Doc Brown is using, is like inventing all of these little things <laughs> how would you categorize what? what he invents in the old west that could, that could almost have a little bit of a steampunk feel to it but i i think one thing that's tricky and we watch doctor who a lot too i think getting into time travel stuff is hard because mm-hmm. they'll pick out a period and they'll want to do the period aesthetically or technologically or whatever mm-hmm. but it won't necessarily be one or the other because it's a time travel i think time yeah. traveler Almost might be its own subgenre its own, of science fiction, yeah, like yeah. time travel, you know? Like that is true. I, I was just thinking of <laughs> like all of these, though. I was just thinking of all these like special mm-hmm. things that like he was inventing like during that time. And obviously, you know, he's a lot more limited in the 1800s than he was in the right. 1900s. And so like he was figuring out workarounds <laughs> for all these different things. And I'm like, oh dear. Yeah, that's a train. For a sec. That's a train. <laughs> 
So yeah, like him figuring out like all of these little like workaround things, like almost makes it feel like he almost touches on that. Yeah. But obviously he, you know, doesn't want to impress too much and change the future too much. So he kind of like keeps it all to himself, which that yeah. would have been Wait, interesting. What kind, of, what kind of weapons did he, or what kind of, what kind of things did he make? Well, he made the train. He took like the DeLorean technology and mm-hmm. he readapted it for 1885. So the train was on the tracks as the time traveling vehicle. Yeah. At oh. the end, obviously, we didn't, okay. you know, it was way at the end, but. Well, yeah. And I know, like, he, he did something with his gun. I'm not sure if he, I don't think yeah. he ever really went into, like, detail as to what exactly he did to it, but he was a really good sniper. That was a really good shot. <laughs> yeah. I'm a bad like, nerd, because it's been a while since I've seen him. I, I Oh, yeah, I me too. It's to... been years. So it's, I, I would have to do a rewatch and carefully watch, like, everything he's trying to, like, cover up and, like. Right hide and everything but but yeah so it but you, but you know what aesthetically that's a that's a really good one for the list if we're talking about examples and stuff because that even though i personally kind of feel like time travel might be its own oh yeah genre, definitely everything i think that could almost qualify I, I could throw back to the future part three in as a steampunk feel oh yeah right, definitely well, good example anyway <laughs> i'm reading our little notes and like what we had written down as to like what we wanted mm-hmm. to talk about and apparently there's a subgenre of clock what uh, wasn't there a Back to the Future that had a big clock? I'm mm-hmm. sorry, I'm so yeah, sorry. that was what? the first one. It <laughs> was the first one, yeah. Mm-hmm. What what is this clock punk? Because you know, I'm, I'm a a grand uh, uh, solicitor of not throwing gears on things <laughs> and calling them steampunk. You right, can't no, do like, that. you need a little more effort on the costume. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you do that, that's cool. No, but... what's clock punk? A clock punk, and I actually had to look this one up because this is one I had never even heard of until I'd done a little research. But clock punk, and I think it's technically officially a subgenre of steampunk, specifically not just sci-fi, but it's more the Renaissance period between the 14th and the 17th centuries. So it's pre-steampunk because oh, okay. mechanical clocks and springs and stuff like that—they could do metal, but they didn't have the technology for steam just yet. So like, hmm. so it's like winding things. And- Right, like Hunchback of Notre Dame, even though that oh. is 19th century. That could be almost clock punk if you want okay. to get weird okay. about it, because it was a big, giant church clock. Aww. I love Quasimodo. Oh. <laughs> the other one, I have, and I haven't read through it as much. I've read a little bit. Um, really, really good example of steampunk, in my opinion. There's a comic called Lady Mechanica, and that fits really well, because it is very futuristic-ish. But it's it's set in the Victorian era, and then it is a little bit higher technology than your average Victorian person. Okay. Um, and the same thing. The other one I had, the only other example I have was the old, the old show, and then the '90s movie with Will Smith, The Wild Wild West. Okay. What about that makes the the Lady Mechanica thing that you just mentioned? Mm-hmm. What what about that makes it clock punk? Oh no no sorry that's not clock punk that's steampunk I'm steampunk steampunk uh, okay. I was like, do they have to wind her up? Yeah. What, what's going on there? Cyborg girls, yes. I mean... Or clockwork I'm girls. I'm here for it. That'd I be just... fun. Okay, um, so then let's... Uh, examples of diesel punk, I guess? Oh, wait, Wild West. Wild Wild West. Oh, yeah, that was just a small note. It's mm-hmm. I've actually never seen the show or maybe seen oh. an episode or two. Is it a show or a movie? It was both. It's it was both. a show in the 60s, and then they, re- they remade it as a movie with Kevin Klein, I want to say, and Will Smith. In the late 90s. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually had... Yeah. There was a show. I thought I had watched something about, like, the whole movie of the Wild Wild West and why it was so, like, disconnected from the series. But it's 
it's been like a hot minute, so I can't remember. But the safe to say, yeah. I don't think the series is as much steampunky as ah. the movie okay. itself. I think the movie leaned into that a lot more. I think there were some elements yeah. maybe still, but I think the movie leaned into it a lot more. Which, as a huge fan of sci-fi, I gotta say that's a little bit, that's kind of too bad. Because yeah. <laughs> a steampunk television show written in the 1960s, it would have been really cool, like like I was saying earlier with Star Trek, during the heyday of Adam Punk, mm-hmm. when things are hopeful and, and you know positive looking, to see what a steampunk show written then would look like would be really cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, oh, so yeah. Diesel Punk then. Uh, what examples do we have of that? Oh. Uh, um, I had listed Bioshock, like we, we talked talk about, about earlier, yep. um, as Diesel Punk. It's kind of a couple things, um, but anything anything that's like retro futuristic World War Two, I think would fit also. Um, Tegan, yeah. you mentioned the Fallout games. Uh-huh. I think that would fit really well for Diesel Punk. Uh, the Wolfenstein games, the same thing. Um, and the a Rocketeer. Lot of do that where they'll take <laughs> yes. Rocketeer. I absolutely love the Rocketeer. I have to say, it's one of the it's one of those movies that like hardly anybody talks about. But I just right. consumed it, it so much growing up. Oh my god, I watched this movie so many times, and it's like hardly mm-hmm. anybody talks about it. I'm like, let's talk about the Rocketeer. Like it's such a good movie. Ah, uh. it was my introduction well, see, to Jennifer Connelly. Really? Yes, oh that was the first thing I saw her in. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Well, um, let me just add that to my list of things that I guess I need to watch. Yes. Yes. Okay. It's really, really good. I mean, and I mean, they're um, fighting Nazis, so I mean, what what more do you really need? Well, yeah. What's as the long as we're, Right. As long as we're fighting Nazis, we're good. Yeah. Oh. Exactly. <laughs> I think the two the two best examples I could think of for Diesel Punk were the Iron Sky movies made in the last. 10 or 15 years has been two of them. Um, I don't think I've even heard of those. Uh, they're, yeah, I don't, don't want to say low budget, but they're not, they're not like Hollywood films. Um, they're made, there's a kind of a indie film. Um, oh, okay. They crowdsourced funding. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. It made, there was a guy, I can't think of the guy's name, but he, it was made in, I think the guy, he's either Danish or Swedish, but he's somewhere in Europe, like Northern, Northwestern Europe. Um, but the whole, the whole thing with Iron Sky is that, Part of it's during World War II, but then part of it's later. Like, the Nazis lost, but then they went into hiding, and then they came back. And, like, they had a secret base on the moon. So then, like, 50 years, 50, 60 years later, they came back to try to wipe out humanity. So it makes fun of a lot of modern stuff, too. Modern politicians who are, like, in the White House. I think at the time, Sarah Palin was running for president. So there was a president who was basically like a mocking of Sarah Palin. Oh, okay. Um, That's really interesting. They were very, they were very mocking style, but it was very, very big, clanky gears and diesel punk. Yeah. And, that's, and it, to me, that's the one thing I want to say. That's a, the distinction for me, because obviously diesel and you know diesel, like truck engines, car engines, stuff like that, and steam are obviously different technologies, but they're kind of they kind of feel similar. But the one mm-hmm. thing I will say that always distinguishes one from the other to me is that diesel, like you would think of, like, an, like a, like a navy sailor back in the day working on diesel diesel ship turbines. Diesel is very, very dirty. When you see greasy, grimy, dirty aesthetic, not always, but I kind of associate that personally more with diesel. 
where steampunk is more clean and classy. Mm -hmm. You see people that are high society, like typical of the Victorian era. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and then did we mention Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow? We did not. It's been a while since I've seen the movie. I feel like I've seen it, but I yeah. think it's been a while. It's been a while. I like haven't seen early it. Early so. 2000s. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Oh, wait, so moving on then, we've also got, um, uh... Adam Punk? Adam Punk examples. Like, uh, and things like I would have never even thought of, too. But I, I wanted to go back for just a second because I had this thought, uh, about, um, you had mentioned, uh, if the Nazis had won and something, and recently Jason and I actually watched, uh, the... Oh, Man the in the High show, Castle. Man in the High Castle. But that's not... Diesel punk or Adam punk or any kind of punk, right? It's just it technically could be diesel punk. Timeline? I mean, you could be because the technology was there, but and this, I guess, this is where it gets into the, the well, subgenre for me. Too, is because what they did in in the show, and I'm sorry, Tegan, I assume you didn't watch the show with us, so it's okay. Uh, <laughs> I think that's when it gets into intention. I'm guessing where you intentionally <laughs> set up the world a certain way, or if you just. Right you know, maybe take one little divergence and you don't really focus on anything else. Right. Right. So where where is the line between whether it's a, a punk genre versus right. just an alternate timeline? Right. Well and at the other on the other end of that argument and the discussion is where does it become, let's say diesel punk for the sake of this is World War Two or post World War Two. It's kinda of between diesel punk and Adam Punk technically. Right. Where do you draw the line between fiction and alternate history or do you draw the line between fiction and it's just there's no techno it's not retro futuristic a lot of the subgenres are futuristic where steampunk you know you'll see sometimes you'll see flying cars but they're not flying cars it's like a dirigible like a mm -hmm. you know like a balloon or something yeah. like that it's a little bit more advanced than we really had but it's close so is it just an alternate history or has the technology been exceeded a little bit from what it was originally based on that era. Yeah, I feel like we're getting into the science fiction versus science fantasy debate that yeah, agreed. Yeah, that we have. we can go on that forever too. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so sorry, um, I just wanted to you know tangent on that. Um, Adam Punk examples. Adam Punk. I I think it's like, is The Incredibles really? A, an example of that? I guess it is. I think so. Uh, because it was clearly based on that era. You know, the, the mid-century modern. Um, the mid-century modern is American aesthetic yeah. at that point. Because even though, it, you know, it, was, it focused on America. Um, but it was the mid-century modern American aesthetic. But they did have a little bit of technology that was a little bit higher than we had. And the second Incredibles... Um, Mrs. Parr ended up having the motorcycle, and I think it had a jet engine on it. At some point, or it could come, it would co could come apart in half, and both wheels could still work, almost like a unicycle. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Bob had his car that was kind of like the old Batmobile with like a jet engine on it and oh, stuff yeah. like that. Like, the technology was there, but it was never implemented in that way. So it's, I never thought about it when I saw The Incredibles as a kid, but it really is science fiction in a way. It just focuses on like. But is, superheroes. It, is it science fiction or is it Adam Punk? Well, both because or is all the... Or just a fine line between both? The punk genres are generally seen as to be a sub-genre a sub of science of fiction. Of science fiction, okay. So it, it kind of fits. It's okay. like debating 
Christian versus Catholic. It's all related. Yeah. <laughs> it's, related. it's all interrelated. Right. Um, and then, so, Star Trek? Is Adam Punk? I kind of put it on here, but I, I almost kind of debate my own. I almost kind of debate my own on that one, because it's, it was written in the era where the mindset might have been positive and optimism and utopian versus dystopian, but mm-hmm. it really was its own thing, like pure futuristic. Okay. What do you think, Tegan? I know you're a big Star Trek fan. Um, as far as, like, those kinds of aesthetics, I think, like, it, I think he was more... I think he was more focused on like just portraying a positive future to kind right. of give us something to like aspire towards. And so I don't right. think he was necessarily focused necessarily on the aesthetics or the right. specific world buildings of that. It was more like, what is this, you know, getting us to this like utopian point where people are working together, you know, and right. we're not dealing with the same issues that we're dealing with at that time, which was like civil rights and right. things like that. So in that, and he actually, he actually was able to use that to address certain aspects of the civil rights movements, having interracial kiss, having very specific right. episodes focused on, race relations without it being race relations. Um, right. Uh, some friends of mine were actually talking in a writing group. Um, when somebody was on this virtual conference talking about um, fiction and nonfiction and, you know, how that relates to people and how it affects them. And they actually said that people who consume fiction instead of consuming nonfiction solely tend to be mm. more empathetic. And, you know, mm. it, it kind of makes you think that, you know, even though like say in nonfiction you're reading like you know maybe the life of somebody real that maybe you could identify with at the same time when you go into a fictional space you can address real world things but since there's this little layer of separation you've disconnected it from its context just enough to where it doesn't slap you in the face with something exact that's happening but you can still examine it examine the implications and you know express something without it being an exact copy and so you right. can go in different directions you can you know it, it's it, it's easier no, to connect think. in some ways yeah it, it's easier to connect with that disconnect there if that makes any sense so well, I, I, I think, think that's what he was kind of trying to do trying to like basically speak this future into existence by showing its potential then Right. Well, I have two thoughts on that, since you bring up Roddenberry. Yes. Partially, partially is that, like with Star Trek, one, I also think Roddenberry and Rod Serling would have gotten along famously, because they mm-hmm. both used the vessel of science fiction as, like, the guise to put social issues out there when, if they had done it as a, you know, period normal drama, like mm-hmm. a soap opera or something, the networks yeah. would have said, no, 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 we're not doing that. Yeah. Um, but I also think something to what you just said is interesting, is that, like, you can... You can, you can show the issues how you want to see it, but especially when you're writing fiction, and especially in that way, somebody like Roddenberry, who was a hopeful person, you can also write the characters that either you want to see or the characters you'd like to be. Mm-hmm. You know, how many times are you driving on the road and you see somebody pulled over, like maybe in distress, and you think, oh, I'd love to help them. I'd love to be the hero. I'd love to help them and everything. But then you're like, mm, what if I get murdered? What if something bad happens? And then you don't. And then you think... You know, when you're writing these things or you're watching these things, you can see the characters doing 
exactly the best all outcome that you'd like to see happen as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, so it's... the thing that you're scared of having happen. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think uh, as far as like the subgenres go, Star Trek is one that is just... It's science fiction. I think it's... I think Roddenberry's intent with that was more to portray humans and their right. potential future, what they could achieve if, you know, they stopped being idiots and yeah. <laughs> everything. I think well, that was more his intention rather than creating like an aesthetic specifically for right. that technology. Right. Well, and honestly, I would almost even go as far as to argue and not Star Trek specifically, but all of the subgenres, mm-hmm. unless you're talking someone like William Gibson, who set out to write something that was very clearly like the formations of cyberpunk and stuff like that. Oh yeah. I would say most writers probably don't write well, maybe not most, but a lot of writers don't write things a subgenre in mind, unless it's the intention or they have a really cool idea for this really cool setting or something like that. I would bet you a lot of people write because they want to write a cool story and it just happens to be. Mm-hmm. I would bet you that most of these subgenres that we like discussing and it's kind of like a fan fiction. A lot of that's kind yeah. of become us trying to identify with the things we love. Oh yeah, it's At least it's on some level. Oh no, it, it's like I think I saw this little cartoon or comic that somebody had drawn where like an English teacher talking about you know his piece of class, classic literature and going on about the color of the curtains and why it was made a specific color and why mm-hmm. you know its significance and everything. And then you cut to the writer and they're like, "I made them blue because I like the color blue." <laughs> Right. You know, it's like, you know, when you're looking back at it. Or the set it, you, designer. Yeah. Or the set designer is like, well, Blue was on sale that day and I had a budget of yeah. stuff for the show. Yeah. That's what I threw on the set. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, sometimes, you know, when looking back at it, you can kind of see connections that aren't necessarily there, but are kind mm-hmm. of fun and interesting to play around with. Like that little meme, like I've right. connected the dots. You haven't connected anything, but I've connected them. Right. You know, <laughs> right. it's all in what you get out of it and what you decide, yeah. what you what you ascribe to the things you like. All right. So let's talk about cyberpunk then for a minute, because I feel like other than the video game, uh, I don't really know a whole lot of uh, examples of it. Um, and I probably just need like a like a boost in, in that direction, because I I feel like I probably know a whole bunch of examples, and I just can't think of any. Well, I would we're, say... we're talking about cyberpunk as like a futuristic, uh, kind of dystopian mm-hmm. alternate, where where we could be going right. if we aren't paying attention. And I always thought cyberpunk also had a <clears throat> bit of a film noir thing mixed in. You know, you see mm-hmm. the, the old private eye sitting in his office with the, the shades partially closed and the streams of light coming across his face. Cyberpunk tended to do that quite a bit, too. So yeah, but wouldn't they have been, like, neon lights? Well, for sure. <laughs> they would have been neon. <laughs> um, the best thing I could say... Like, I, I, I realized Ghost in the Shell, the old anime from the 90s, mm-hmm. was cyberpunk, but I don't know it that well. I also that, Aeon Flux. I don't know the story. Aeon Flux... It was also yes, an animated bit. series as well. Very, oh, I think, I, underrated... Especially, like, you know, compared to other, like, more well-known series like Ghost in the Shell, which, all good series, absolutely. But I feel like people don't think about or talk about or watch Aeon Flux as much, and I'm like, y'all, 
go check it out. It's so, so good. It's so I'm good. actually, I'm a little bit hurt, Tegan, that you actually mentioned, you said Aeon Flux, and I said, yes, in my head, I'm like, yes. And then you said, and also the cartoon, like, I liked the movie. I'm not one of these people, there's a lot of people who didn't like the movie, but the show was perfection. Oh, no, I, I was the talking about was so the good. show, because I, I don't oh, okay. know, I don't know much about <laughs> the movie. movie. I don't know much about the movie. I, I know Charlize Theron is in it, but that's about The movie's actually all. pretty cool, not to devolve the conversation here, but if you like the show... The movie almost feels like you could tie it in. You could use the movie to explain some things from the show. And it was actually mm -hmm. very well done. Um, a lot of people don't like it, but I thought it was cool. Okay, okay. so... Well, and basically, like, any of Philip K. Dick's uh, books and or movies Correct. or things, at some point in time, we're going to have to have an episode of, of Beauties and Headcanons where we just talk about, like, Philip K. Dick, Philip K. Dick <laughs> and I don't know what uh, we're going to call it, but I'm sure the I can come up with a couple of puns. Hope I was going to yes. say, hopefully something family appropriate. That's hopefully, okay. yeah. But essentially, like, um, all the really cool concepts have been a Philip K. Dick uh, mm -hmm. brainchild. Like, some of the coolest stories have been Philip oh, yeah. K. Dick. Like, the dude wrote, some of them were solid novels, some of them were short stories. But, like, the stuff that this guy wrote ended up becoming Blade Runner, Total Recall, Minority Report. Man in the High Castle. Um, there was also that really weird trippy movie in the in the late '90s, um, or sorry, uh, early 2000s, where it was people live action on set and they animated over them. Mm -hmm. um, it was like all about drugs. Through the, through the some... Scanner Darkly. Scanner Darkly. Yes. yes. Scanner Darkly. Yes. That was all Philip K. Dick. I'm like, the guy was a genius. He was probably insane, but he was a genius. <laughs> yeah. All the best geniuses yeah. are. Um, oh, for sure. Well, and. So I also wanted to talk about uh, Michael Crichton for a second then, too, because um, we had talked real briefly about Wild Wild West. Right. And uh, Westworld would be not any of these, right? Is that, See, a, is that a futuristic... I, yeah, I'm honestly... And I, I haven't seen the original 70s movies, I so I can't either. comment to that. But the show, the fact that they can jump around to... The aesthetics, like a samurai period, there's a western period, there's a few others that we haven't seen yet that they mentioned. But the technology that they're using. To me, it would almost be nanopunk, which is kind of a subgenre of cyberpunk, specifically based on nanotechnology. Things oh. that are small could be in your blood, nanorobots, stuff like that. Okay. I have not researched nanopunk. Another one of those ones I think is a little bit more disputed, like cassette punk. Or transistor punk. Sure, or like somebody gave it a name. Right. Because they saw something. Of... This doesn't really fit anywhere. Let me throw it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think Westworld. Could, like Westworld, aesthetically, really isn't cyberpunk because most of it isn't really sit, set in a bright neon city. Right. Uh, I know season three, which of course I haven't watched yet, isn't. Is, is a, in a bit of, in the city. But it doesn't look like the neon 80s, neon colors, crazy garish colors aesthetic of cyberpunk. Right. So I, I don't know what I don't know what Westworld would really be classified as if you had to classify it. Huh. Okay. So um And also there's the big up, guys. There's um, also the big cyberpunk entry though that I mean we can't avoid talking about and they'll probably be like the last thing that we talk about because this episode is mm -hmm. Already getting on the longer side, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But that What's is the last thing we need to talk about. The Matrix trilogy, of course. 
Oh. The ultimate cyberpunk. Oh. Plug it in. We can't not talk about the Matrix. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very neon at times, but very bleak and dystopian. Very... Everybody's wearing sunglasses and leather. Mm. Dark, downtrodden. Not usually neon colors like the cliche. Not cliche, but the typical cyberpunk. But I think that actually fits really, really well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I think, like, you know, when when you're talking about, like, cyberpunk thing, there's a few things that might come to mind. And I think The Matrix has to be one of them. Because, I mean, it it just created this whole cultural phenomenon in the late 90s. It was just everything was The Matrix. I I swear to God, like, I I went through my own Matrix Matrix phase. I had, like, on my computer, I had, like, a little background that looked like The Matrix and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you you couldn't avoid it. It was everywhere, it seemed like. Well, I don't know if you remember, Tegan, but I think... I think most computers actually came with that as like a standard, at least for a couple of years there, because of the popularity of the Matrix, most likely. They came with like a similar black and green falling letters screensaver, probably oh, standard from cool. Microsoft. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I absolutely want to uh, say thank you to Jason for um, uh, guest hosting on this episode. Um, and I want to apologize for everyone for how long it took for this episode to come out. We had a lot of stuff going on um, behind the scenes here, and we will see you again in two weeks, but we definitely, um, I want to apologize for all of the traveling and changing and stuff that happened. Um, we have it together now, and we, you know, uh, well, want mostly. to. Well, uh, mostly. Mostly. <laughs> only as much as we ever did. Yeah. Um, but we are excited to be um here this summer and making sure that there's all kinds of cool stuff to talk about. Um, if you enjoyed hearing uh, what Jason had to talk about or want to hear him talk about anything else, let us know. Uh, we want to hear all the good, the bad, and the ugly, everything that you want to say. Um, and, you know, if you don't want to listen to us talk anymore, that's cool too. Then let us know. Um, anything else you guys want to make sure that we sign off on? I just want to say that I'm sorry I didn't say it at the beginning, but I feel I feel I owed the show a bit a bit of a better intro and you know the whole classic cliche of you know hey I'm a long time listener first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean technically technically it is true. So technically. yes, yeah, you know. <laughs> All right. So with that, I'm Lindsay. I'm Jason. And I'm Tegan. And thanks for getting nerdy with us today on Beauties and Headcanons. <laughs>